On this episode of The Racing Shame, Pastor Dave Park of Mosaic Christian Fellowship and Dr. John Ha, Director of Lighthouse Counseling Network, join forces in New Jersey to make Asian American Christian counseling more affordable, accessible, and available. We pray that you'll be informed and inspired to do likewise so more Asian Americans can experience the abundant life. All right, welcome back to the Erasing Shame podcast. My name is Sam. I'll be your host today as we are doing our Pastor Appreciation Month in October. And today's a very special episode where we're going to be highlighting um, two pastors and Lighthouse Christian Network uh, and just the amazing work that they're doing here. And so we got Dave here, who's a pastor in New Jersey. Uh, and then we also have John, who's the director of Lighthouse Christian Network. And it's a great service that blends Christian counseling and with churches to partner together to do something um, together to help Asian Americans, especially um, going through um, different challenges. And so welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you, us. Sam. Yeah. Is there any other, you guys want to briefly introduce yourself a little bit more? I know I didn't go into super big detail, but is there any, any more that you guys want to share a little bit about yourself? Um, so yeah, I'm Dave. I'm a pastor at Mosaic Christian Fellowship. We're in Northern New Jersey. Uh, we're Bergen County, which is like a heavily Asian American, densely populated area um, of the Northeast. I'm the lead pastor there. Been there since 2013 and uh, still trucking, still going. That's me. That's great. Awesome. I used to serve um, at a church called New Mercy Community Church which is also up in Bergen County. Um, about two months ago, I transitioned out from congregational ministry. I'm currently in, uh, at Princeton Theological Seminary, and I'm the vice president of student life and dean of chapel here. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. I love it. Well, we got some high-powered, awesome men of God here. So this uh, Lighthouse Christian Network, it's I, I didn't know about it until recently when DJ told me about you guys and it just sounds so interesting like what you guys have done and created and uh, it's a great it sounds like a great model for other churches to learn and so we're going to talk about the origin story of how did it start when did it start let's start from the beginning like what who came up with this idea uh yeah so i'll go first I, you know it's, it's hard to know exactly who came up with the idea first because john had a dream and then I, I kind of had a need and then, you know, God kind of uh, brought it together. Um, but it, it, it came really from my role as a pastor, just feeling my lack and the increasing awareness of how counseling can really help people and the Asian stigma behind counseling starting to wane a little bit. And uh, this is in 2019. Um, I really felt the increase in counseling need at my particular church. And at the same time, feeling my my lack, um, not only um, in terms of being able to meet the volume of needs, mm. but um, you know, I, I don't think that counseling is particularly my gift. And I was really feeling that deeply. And um, there were a lot of needs coming in, a lot of requests coming in for counseling. And then the requests for counseling began to uh, get more acute. So they weren't just you know, I'm having a hard time with my Christian walk stuff, but it, it was, you know, I have this mental illness or I'm struggling with this particular diagnosis. And um, it was just stuff that was way really outside of what I can help with. Well, you didn't learn that in seminary? No, man. <laughs> no, not in my seminary. <laughs> so I didn't get any of that. And to be honest, at the beginning, I was kind of pretending like I knew what I was doing. And because, you know, you're a pastor and if you, especially if you're the lead pastor, it's really hard to say, I don't know what to do mm. and I don't know how to help you. Um, but that, that's honestly how I felt. And as that kind of grew, I realized, Hey, I, I need to reach out for help and I need to figure out how to sustainably create a counseling culture at my church, uh, without stamping out kind of this great thing that's happening, which is the stigma going away. Mm. And I don't think it's away all the way, but, you know, um, as it was going away, we needed to figure out kind of what we were going to do with this. And so, um, yeah, at that time, I was kind of reaching out to different places to see uh, where we could get support. 
and um, I met John and I've known John we have a, a pastors network here and so we know each other but um, I kind of talked to John a little bit more deeply about this because counseling everybody in our area knows John as the the counseling pastor right or the counseling expert in our area and so I kind of reached out to him about help uh, with this and from there those conversations like at these diners and coffee shops um, that's really where this started uh, mm -hmm. with me and John and uh, he had a dream um, or a vision or a desire that God gave him a long time ago and uh, I think he had been waiting for it to come to fruition um, but yeah for me it kind of started from a place of lacking yeah no I think I resonate with that too I was I've been a pastor for 17 years junior high pastor I had no idea what I was doing uh, people are coming with me with problems and a lot of them don't even can't even understand like their mental illness or self-diagnosis. And I had no idea what I'm doing. So I totally resonate with that because I think a lot of pastors are struggling with that. So I actually got a degree in counseling. I went and got my wow. MFT just because I was like, I need more training because I got really blessed by uh, New Life Fellowship, Pete's Cazero, Emotional Health and Spirituality. My wife actually went to his church. And so that opened my eyes to understanding the power of counseling. And, and so I, I totally resonate with what you said. And I think a lot of pastors not just Asian American pastors, but everywhere is it resonates with that because one one class in seminary definitely does not do do justice for that. So I, I love that need. And then John, you had a dream. You want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't much of a dream other than just an idea and a desire, right? Um, and I'm I'm in the same boat. I've been in ministry for a long time, and um, I came to seminary really with the conviction that I really want to learn more about how to give better care. Mm. Um, but specifically for Asian Americans and Asian American communities, because, you know, we, we grew up with lack of resources, lack of education. Um, and even those of us who wanted to seek counseling or wanted to go into counseling, there really weren't that many people who were there to inform us and mentor us. So, I think one of the convictions when I was young, maybe perhaps foolishly, was I'm going to go to seminary and learn Christian counseling. And uh, I came to seminary and I realized what we learn in seminary in regards to what's mandated for future pastors. Like, you know, Pastor Sam, you were joking around like, you know, <laughs> one class in seminary is not enough. But oftentimes in seminary education, one or two classes all you need in order to graduate. Um, in at least our discipline and having studied it myself now, I feel like there are some changes that need to be happened in the curriculum itself, but practically just graduating and being in ministry, you feel the, the, just a lack of all sorts of things when it comes to, you know, doing life together with your congregants and your leadership and your own family and you as an individual. So I, I was in the same boat as Dave and you, Sam. Like, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, even though I studied this um, for many years. So when I was in ministry and really realizing how much of the pastoral work involves care and counseling, I, I think God started to kind of nudge me in the conviction that I've already had for a while to connect with others, to see if there were like-minded people like me, if there were other pastors who are struggling through similar things as I was, and then just to get some of these people together to see, hey, God, we're going to get together. We're going to talk about it. We're going to pray over it. And then we're going to see how you lead. So Dave was really a crucial uh, person in my personal life, but also the beginnings of Lighthouse Counseling Network because because David have been, has been already thinking about this and he already has certain meetings and certain things lined up to create a certain type of ministry in his church. Um, when we met, kind of sparks flew and we said, you know what, there are more people like us. Let's get a few of them together with us mm -hmm. and see what we can come up with to resolve some of these issues, which include educating pastors and pastoral leaders. Um, how to actually provide counseling and then um, figure out how we can financially support 
mm. those who want to actually receive counseling because that's also a big need. Mm, that's good. So it's 2019. Dave, you saw a need. You knew John was the Mr. Counselor guy. So you guys got coffee, talked about it, and you guys were just obviously like understanding the need and then the desire to expand to because you 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 probably heard uh, anecdotally other people struggling. So is that kind of what happened next? You guys started gathering more pastors and leaders and just having more conversations. Yeah, I think I think initially John and I we we had to talk about what do we want this to be? Do we want it to be a counseling center? Uh, do we want it to be a ministry of a church or do we want it to be a loosely affiliated network um, mm. of leaders and churches? Um, and, you know, we, we had to kind of hash out what, what we were going for before we brought other people uh, to the table. Uh, but at the same time, we wanted other people to have their hand in the creation of it. And so we didn't want it to be completely formed. But yeah, from there, uh, we went to our local network um, of pastors, and from there, uh, pastors who we knew had mm. been thinking about this a little bit. So it wasn't a brand new idea to them, but people who had this somewhere in the radar, mm. um, trusted guys that we knew um, as friends, and uh, yeah. we brought them to the table and you know prayed over it and had discussions together. And yeah, yeah those were some of the first steps. That's great. So you mentioned like which direction you were thinking of going. Where where did you land early on in those days, and did it change or pivot? Um, I, I think we're still yeah still in the zip code because we landed on network, um, mm -hmm. a trusted network of of counselors um, that we wanted to bring together, and we didn't necessarily want it to be a physical center, um, and so we're still moving in that direction. Why? Which is why it's called like house counseling network and uh, we were really um yeah intentional about that that it being a network that was actually jo john uh you know he saw the need for it to be a network and not not one center mm. well there's so many counseling centers in our region and throughout the u.s um if you really wanted to research what resources you have around you i bet you there are a lot of christian and secular counseling centers and therapy centers nearby. But what we were trying to, um, trying to meet the needs of those folks who, for whatever reason, didn't want to go to a center or went to a center and bounced back. And then we looked at some in-house network, um, you know, ministries, in-house ministries in small and big churches. And we began to just see what are the needs that they're hitting, but what's also being left out. Yeah. And so what the network option gave us was a little bit more flexibility. It gave us to become a little bit more nimble and also create a, a nonprofit organization that exists out of a particular church, which does give you certain limitations, yeah. um, but not a center where you have to have so much resources and run it almost like a business where, it, you know, it might not be sustainable for many of us who already had full-time jobs elsewhere. So um, it was just a matter of let's grab people who are really convictionate uh, about this and passionate about this issue and see if we can create a loose network, which then turned into an official 501c uh, mm. network where, you know, um, we, David was able to get a lawyer for us. We created the board and we started writing out the logistics of how this uh, group was going to function. And, and that happened in 2020, is that correct? No, most of it came together the year before. It actually oh. took us a while. Yeah, it took us a while before we came to the launch because we had quite, quite a number of things to figure out. We had to figure out uh, what was the kind of biblical counseling vision. And, you know, as you know, there are different approaches to it. Uh, where do we land? Uh, what's the role of the church um, and then actually the, the financing of um, and the supporting of these sessions was actually a kind of a that was kind of a big discussion we had to figure out how do we make it uh, really accessible to people um, while at the same time uh, making it uh, a place where counselors really want to be and work um, mm -hmm. and uh, make it worth their while and uh, really support them as well because, um, you know, I learned that some counselors, as they work at different counseling centers, 
that they may be charging X, but the counselor is not getting a lot of that. Mm. And we wanted to, you know, be a place where they did get uh, the lion's share of it because they're the ones doing the work. Yeah. Um, so we, we had a lot to hash out. And so even though most of putting everything together was in 2019, we didn't officially launch until 2020. Okay, got it. So unpack for some of the listeners um they may be like well what's a network versus a center what is the difference and can you unpack why the network was a better fit for you guys like the pros sure first counseling centers you know you you have to run it like a business like it has to financially make sense mm -hmm. you're hiring people as a network we don't hire anybody officially mm -hmm. in the sense that they don't work for us full time um, and we don't sign contracts like you have to be here X amount of years and we pay you a certain amount. Mm. We really work with the graciousness of the counselors and therapists who want to work with us um, who say I will be able to offer X amount of hours per week, mm. you know, or in this season, I can take X amount of clients for you and we start there. And if they can increase uh, more intakes, we go towards that. If they can't, then we send less counselees towards their way. So it's loose in the sense that there's a mutual agreement on the counseling network and the therapist, but we figure out um, as we go seasonally how many they can take and, and what type of counselees they prefer, what counseling they can offer, so I think the biggest difference is one, we don't hire any counselors. We don't have a building, mm. you know, um, and at any given point, a counselor can say, hey, I really want to step off or things this season, I can't take any. And then uh, we have to figure out other, um, you know, plans. So it was it was a beginning, a humble beginning, right? It was um, four churches and um, just maybe four or five counselors. Mm. saying yes to this and we just launched it to see if um you know functioning as a network if we will actually hit certain niche who you know preferred something that we can offer rather than going to a counseling center and going to in-house so i i don't want to i don't know how much you want to know sam but basically in in over a decade of doing pastoral care and counseling i've had many people many churches send people our way and at our church in new mercy at the time we had an in-house counseling program yeah so it all kind of bottlenecked into me and we've had other therapists and counselors in church but reality is like other congregant friends aren't going to go see you because you share the same space so you have concerns about confidentiality you know and it's just very difficult to navigate that world so I realized early on that, okay, it, it's going to have to kind of bottleneck towards me. And then this need kept growing. Yeah. And as the need kept growing, I sent people out to counseling centers as referrals. So we don't believe that counseling centers shouldn't exist. We encourage it. And the reason why we can thrive is there are great counseling centers mm -hmm. right around us. Yeah. But there are people when we sent them out, a significant portion. Now, this is not data or statistics that I have, but about 40 to 50% of the people I sent out to counseling centers that I vetted out myself already and met with the directors and some of their counselors, they were bouncing back. Mm. And there were really top two reasons why they were bouncing back. One was um, affordability. They just couldn't afford it. Yeah. You know, a lot of the counseling centers and individual counselors don't take insurance or yeah. they don't take your insurance. So you're trying to pay out of pocket here in the Northeast about $150 to $300 a session. Yeah. Right. Um, that's not sustainable. And then two, they were bouncing back because they were saying I'm being connected with counselors who are not contextually aware mm. or uh, contextual enough for me to see them because I, as an Asian American, have particular issues or concerns or culture in which I grew up in. And they kept saying, I'm going and I'm explaining this three, four, five sessions while I'm paying enormous amount of money out of pocket. And they just felt like initially they weren't going anywhere. Right. So 
they were bouncing back. So that's why we felt like maybe we need to create something else because the in-house model had its limits. The referring out had its limits. Yeah. Hence, we kind of landed on the network idea. Yeah, no, that, there, there's a big need out there, especially among Asian American therapists. There's not a lot. Uh, especially males. And so it's very rare to see that. And so, and you're right, the affordability, it's very expensive. Insurance can get very tricky. And then the cultural context of understanding and unpacking um, and, and being aware of that is, is a huge need, not just in New Jersey, but here in California too. I mean, I can count with my fingers how many Asian Americans, I only really recommend one um, and, and it's not that many. So it's, it's a big uh, need out there. So definitely in your church, um, you you saw this need of whether it's cost like uh, affordability or it's cultural um, just awareness and connection and so um, that that's a huge need in here in this area. So you for you guys met had a dream you got four churches connected together and you created this network plan that was well we among and, and to correct me if I'm wrong we as four churches will financially somehow get these other counselors in a model that that work. You don't have to get the details if you don't want to, but I'm assuming that you guys would share resources, come to get an incentive for the counselors to um, to to be able to financially sustain to do this. Is that is that correct? Yeah, and that the churches are are such a big part of it because one, we need buy-in uh, yeah. from the the spiritual leaders in the region. But in order to accomplish making it affordable for the people coming to get the counseling, but worth it for the people giving it, somebody has to step in in between and subsidize that so that the counselors are not getting gypped and the uh, people coming to get the counseling aren't being, um, you know, aren't aren't paying too much. And so the churches step in in the middle and Mm. subsidize that so that it's it's affordable for those coming through our churches um i think on average it's about 50 dollars a session wow. and then the, yeah but they're paying 50 but the the counselors are getting are, are getting around 100 uh wow, for great. the sessions and if the churches didn't come in between you know the numbers just aren't that would never happen right yeah and the churches we needed uh, lead pastors and leaders who saw the need for this because they were going to have to galvanize their churches to really invest in the mental and spiritual health of the area. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the church is coming in the middle. It's a huge part of it. No, that I love that. That's, that's really good. The church should lead that and help bridge that gap. And so I love that. So tell us how your first year went uh, 2020 is pandemic time too. Like how did that go and what challenges did you guys have as well as what opportunities did you see? Yeah, so before we even got to 2020, kind of piggybacking on what David was sharing, it was we, we wanted all parties, whether church or counselors or the board members to have a buy-in. Mm. Meaning we asked the counselors that are coming in, we told them this is a nonprofit organization. We see the same need that you see. Can you... Um, you know, set aside certain amount of spots to take in Lighthouse Counseling Network counselees. But when you take our counselees, can you set a fee at $100 a session, which Mm -hmm. is lower than what most people charge here. And so there's a buy-in from the counselors. There's a buy-in from the counselees because we're not saying you come and receive everything for free, right? Like you're paying at a lowered cost of $100 a session, but we're asking you to just pay half of that. Right. And then the churches have a buy-in because we're saying, these are your people. Mm -hmm. We not only use the church to teach psychosocial education, emotional health, spiritual health, but you need to set aside a budget. I've had so many conversations with pastors who come and say, you know, mental health is so important, dot, dot, dot. But at the end of the day, when I ask them a very simple question, how much in your church budget per year is being utilized to support in some way, mental, emotional health of your congregants, most of the time is zero. Mm -hmm. How much do you spend on praise equipment? How much do you spend on missions, you know, mission trips? And once again, all necessary parts of the church. But the point is that most churches, especially Asian, Asian American churches, um, they were just giving lip services to the importance of emotional mental health. So we wanted to buy in from the church. We say, each church who joins this network will pay an X amount per year as a ministry fund. 
Yeah. And it will be utilized to subsidize counseling sessions. So once we were able to see who were able or who was willing to buy in, we started with those four churches, wrote out the bylaws, and we launched, um, obviously not knowing that COVID was going to hit right around the corner in March, but we launched in January 2020. Mm-hmm. And between four churches and about five, six counselors, we thought it was very doable with the budget that we have. And then COVID hit in March. And initially, I think what it did was it kind of paused everything, mm-hmm. the request of the counseling sessions that was coming in. And about two or three months into COVID, it just kind of skyrocketed. You got really um, Yeah, the application just kept coming in. And we quickly reached the limits of how many counselors we can take. Mm. So what yeah, that first that first year was was fast. I mean that that's all I remember. Just like not believing the numbers that John was telling us, like, you know, because we just started. Uh, honestly, it was like four friends who believed in this, and we thought it would help our churches. And then, yeah, that first year it was a, it was a lot faster than we had anticipated. Mm. So, what would you recommend for churches that are hearing this? They're like, "Wow, that sounds really cool." Uh, I know that the money part is always a concern. Like, Oh, I don't know if I can spend it. I don't know if I want to do that. Like there's a cost to it now. But my assumption is if you do something that's amazing and a great service for your church and the church is using that, I feel like people would want to give more knowing that their money and their tithes are, it's going to a good cause to help their church members. Cause it's a real great benefit for the church too. So I know there's a cost element of that. And then people are maybe like, well, is this going to be effective? Like, can you share like, what you learned or what you would suggest for, for churches that are maybe thinking about this or what, what, what you've learned through that? Um, you know, I'm sure John has a lot to say, but I, I just, I, the, my personal experience as a pastor, it's helped me a ton. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that I, I, I'm getting counseling from Lighthouse, but what I mean is that it's helped me to not be overwhelmed in mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing in the church. And counseling and shepherding people is certainly um, a big part of what I'm supposed to do, but it can get to a point where there are a couple of individuals or there's just a a larger growing population of people who need a lot of care. And there are too many things um, that a pastor needs to do to expend the the amount of time that that person really needs from you. And then um, the added guilt of not being equipped mm. to help, right? And so I always say the biggest beneficiary of Lighthouse is me as yeah. a pastor, right? And so, uh, you know, uh, there are so many people who have been helped by Lighthouse, but I, I think that it's an investment into your leadership, mm. you know, into your your pastors and those, um, like all of the, the counseling needs at John's church funneled to him. You yeah. know, that that's a lot to ask of somebody. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's a that's a huge benefit is to help your leadership um, kind of focus and unburden them. And so just just one aspect of, you know, what I'd like to share about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it makes uh, not only the church more efficiently um, to run because it, it, it essentially it should help mm. the top leadership who have to do a lot of care. Um, and counseling, but I I don't want to say that we should become a generation where if you become a pastor or pastoral leader at your church, like anything that comes through your door, you should just refer it and, and outsource it. That's not what I'm trying to say. What right. we're trying to say is there is still a pastoral care portion that all pastors have to do. Yeah. But it's really this, the, the particular cases that come, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, just like David was saying, someone's going through a divorce or someone has a mental illness or someone needs medication, someone is suicidal or someone just has um, just um, a very going through a very difficult season in their life where they just need a lot more time and resources, maybe not forever, but especially in that season. And if we've created a system in the church where, especially in Asian American churches, and this is not just the pastors doing, but this is on the congregants who have this expectation that I'm going to go to my pastor 
And that's a great thing, but we need to understand what's the limitation of what your pastor can offer on mm -hmm. both sides, from the congregational side, but also pastor side. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Uh, services that we provide, if it goes well, to free up time and energy from your pastoral leadership so that they can invest in more pastoral care and other logistical things that they have to do at the church. And we yeah. take difficult cases and difficult situations and really walk with them in ways that um, that is in continuation of what the pastor is supposed to do. So we're, we're not, we don't exist. We don't preach that what counseling network provides is something that pastors cannot provide. So you come to us and you no longer go to your pastor or your church leadership. No, it's supposed to be conjunction with, we're supposed to do this together but help yeah. people understand the limitations in which what the church and the pastors can offer. Oh, I love that. I think that's, that's a win-win uh, for the church, the pastor, the congregants. Cause even with me as with a degree in MFT and, and having that experience, like I can't care for everyone. I actually refer out to people there to do counseling. Cause one, I get busy Two, Sometimes I don't even know what to do with that situation. And then, and three, I think sometimes, it allows me to pick and choose where I can use my time more efficiently because not everyone is a, a, a therapist, a pastor and a therapist together. That's a very rare uh, gift set that you don't really see in most people. And so to be able to refer out to a professional who has more training, uh, it allows the pastor to really focus on where their maybe passion is and sweet spots so that they can continue to do ministry um, and while as also providing the best kind of care for your church. So I think it's definitely a win-win. And I, I love what you said. It's not the pastor just giving away. It's it's allowing them to have more discernment in that whole situation of what, how can I best care for this person in, in a godly way rather than just you get me because I'm the best or that, that's that's all I get, which may, you may not be. So that's, that's great. So four churches started during 2020. Things obviously grew because COVID, big need. People are like going, to, I mean, I went through my emotional, you know, stuff and my issues and I had, I'm, I'm getting spiritual direction and all that stuff. Like, how is it now 2022? We're going to go to 2023. Have you guys expanded? Is there more churches or what, what's the story now? Yeah, now we're up to nine churches and wow. we have 14 counselors in the network. Um, just to give you some stats, um, 2020, we had 61 applications come in. Um, and these applications sometimes it's not just for the individual, right? It's it's sometimes couples, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's you and the kids. Yeah. So that's 61 applications kind of turn into about 85 people. Yeah. 2021, we got up to 72 applications, about 100 people supported. And then in 2022, we're now, what, mid-October, we've had 106, 106 applications that came in. And wow. we've supported about 150 people. Wow. That's amazing. So you got nine churches. You're helping over 100 plus people now, families. Uh, that's amazing. And it sounds like like what you said earlier about when you would send them off to uh, these counseling centers, either they would fall off too expensive or not as effective or because there is a, a, a relationship that's built between the counselor and the counselee. Like, how are you seeing the, the, the effectiveness? I don't know if there's a way to measure that, but what fruit are you seeing from this? Yeah, other than, I mean, one obvious fruit that David, you know, graciously offers is that it really, we get a lot of positive feedback from the pastors of these nine churches and their leadership. Um, but the other fruit that we see is um, that people, the numbers are going up. And the needs are constantly coming in. So we're at a point where the, the, we need to grow the supply, mm -hmm. but the demand keeps on growing. So yeah. it's a great problem to have because it seems like what we're seeing is one, the, the shame factor of wanting a counselor or, hey, I'm gonna, I need therapy or I need to see somebody else because I need help. It seems to be decreasing. And it's partially not just because we provide counseling services. What we also provide is chances for your churches um, and organizations to do seminars, mm. you know, mental health seminars. I know David's church has done it. My church has done it numerous times. And we utilize Lighthouse Counseling Network counselors, but we use other resources that we have outside mm. and bring these people in 
Um, and now we have to put Sam's name on the list because we might call him to do a seminar. Um, we bring people in who, who have certain experts, right? And we teach from the pulpit to bring down that wall of shame. And we also provide financial support and we also connect you because sometimes yeah. the, the connecting part is the hard part because it is trial and error. You have to try somebody out. And if the, that therapeutic relationship isn't really built and you're not comfortable, you need to switch. But oftentimes what happens is um, folks try once and they're like, uh, it takes a little bit more time than effort than I thought that I'm just going to stop. Yeah. And statistically, um, Asian Americans, we are the, the number one ethnic cultural group to least likely to ask for help, professional yeah. help. And that's just statistically true. And then on the flip side, on the back end, we're the first ethnic cultural group to leave therapeutic relationship. We're the first ones to leave. So we're the last ones in and we're the first ones to leave. Yeah. So sometimes even just supporting them through that discerning process of who do I need and, and uh, what kind of therapeutic relationship do I want, just walking with them through those few steps really helps out, I think, in the longevity of how long um, they stay in their, you know, in therapy. And um, so obviously we have some difficult cases. They do bounce back. Um, there are complaints, you know, um, with any organizations such yeah. as this, but majority of the times, I mean, we are just thankful that people feel blessed and they're actually lining up to utilize these services. Yeah, I mean, for fifty dollars, I would sign up. I'd be like, "Oh my goodness, let's go, let's do this." That's a yeah, great half deal. price, man. But just to add to that, I think that what I see on the ground is that Lighthouse, as it's grown, it's kind of getting known mm. in the area, and more people are utilizing it. And so there are couples in my church that probably would not have gone to counseling who who have, and as just the sheer number of people who are getting counseling goes up the stigma is slowly going down, right? And so that's another added benefit is there's so many more people who've just been in counseling now. So yeah. it's not, you know, that big a deal. At least in my church, it's pretty common that you've gone to counseling, right? Yeah. Uh, I think when we first started, my church people used it like double as much as anyone else, any other church. Um, and I think that that did change kind of the culture mm. of, hey, it's okay to get counseling. Lots yeah. of people do it right and that's a big change no yeah that's good so are we gonna say more no no, no i totally agree i think I, I i see that too even among 20s and 30s they, they it's even though they it they're growing up more with that in, in the american culture but still in the asian culture it's still very like oh i don't know if i want to do it or i'll try it once and usually i always tell them you got to go at least more than once like one the first time is just like an intake just getting to know you sometimes you don't even feel like it's worth your money but after the second or third, you kind of realize, oh, yeah, if they're good and you have a good relationship, I mean, it. And, and so I've seen people where they they're like, oh, now I get it now. Now I understand. And but I think what you guys are doing a great job is it, it bridges two issues of the the faith aspect. Sometimes they want to know they want a Christian therapist and someone that has a faith background, but also an Asian American, someone that understands their culture, because that just breaks down walls so much faster rather than trying to explain it over and over. So I've definitely seen uh, with my one guy who I always referred out to, like just how he's able to work with them more effectively uh, because it does make a difference who it is. And so I love that you guys are bridging that gap. Uh, and and it, obviously the needs grow. You went from four churches to nine churches, helping over a hundred people now with that and at a great deal with people that you vetted that know that cultural context. So what do you, what do you, do you, was it an issue with working with the state of New Jersey or New York, or did you have have any other issues that maybe as churches are listening to like, like how hard is this to run to make this happen? Like this sounds great, but it sounds like a lot of work. Do I have to hire someone or what? Do, what would you say to them? Joe, well, John, you want to talk about the state stuff? Yeah, I mean, depending on what state you're in, there are certain restrictions, um, but. The rule of thumb, I guess, with any state is that if you have a state licensed counselor or a therapist, they would be a good candidate to grab long yeah. as, you know, you have some kind of vetting process and you feel comfortable on both ends. 
Um, but now crossing over the state boundaries is what gets a little tricky. Mm. But this is where COVID kicks in. Original idea between four churches was we're going to serve the greater northern New Jersey region because that's where we're all located. Yeah. So we only worked with uh, licensed therapists and counselors in our state. Yeah. Now what COVID did was open up the whole wide doors to online therapy and telehealth. Mm -hmm. So as that opened up, we checked with the lawyer and we checked with a couple of the therapists who serve in other states. And there are states who still maybe at this point in juncture, uh, legally speaking, there are certain gray areas and, and there isn't as strong restrictions. Um, so you just have to find those out. And uh, we try to work with counselors that outside of our state too who may be able to do telehealth and they're legally allowed to do so. Mm. Um, and so we do the matching uh, in the matching process. Now there are um, folks who do see therapists from other states, mm. um, but that would be through telehealth. But you really do have to just double check from the uh, licensing um, programs and your state, whether that's legally possible or not. So for example, like I tried to recruit two therapists who are in California. California has a very strong restrictions on who they can work with outside of the state. And that includes in their law um, online therapy. So we couldn't make it work, but there are other states um, that, that allow that space um, by, I guess the law hasn't really caught up to it is what I'll say. Not just in the counseling field, but just in the medical field in general, when it comes to telehealth, um, there's just still a lot of gray area. And so we don't know what will happen to that, but so far it hasn't really become that much of a big problem. Yeah. I, I would say the, the biggest thing we've run into uh, pretty uh, frequently is just finding the counselors, mm. right? Because we're just keeping up with demand um, and the supply is vetted biblical counselors um, that we trust. And John's been doing most of the heavy lifting and finding them, um, but getting enough uh, people to just meet the demand. Um, mm. that, that's been uh, one of the biggest things. And also, um, you know, we have nine churches, but we've added them very carefully. Mm. And uh, they could, there could have been a lot more, um, but we decided to, to add them very carefully and to take the time um, to evaluate uh, how fast you should go with this um, and how wide you want to go, how quickly, because, you know, you, you want um, to be careful about who you're bringing onto the leadership and the membership of this kind of thing. And so those are conversations that are really important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you asked about, you know, people who are thinking about starting this. And, you know, for us, we had um, a friendship and trust with one another. We have... A, a network um, of pastors here that we meet on a monthly basis. You know, mm. most guys hang out more frequently than that. And if you're doing ministry in a silo, this is probably going to be pretty hard to start. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to, um, yeah, do ministry with each other. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm not a gifted counselor, and but I knew that John was, right? And so um, you, you need to, you know, not be doing it uh, doing ministry in a silo, this would be really hard to start without kind of a foundation of friendship and trust, I think, too. Yeah. Because counseling is also, uh, you know, it's one of the most intimate things that takes place. So, yeah, you want to do it with guys that, you know, men and women who, who you can trust. Yeah, I love yeah, that. And of, of, oftentimes, like, when you bring people who are passionate about similar things, then the spirit moves and God does wondrous things. So I don't want any of our listeners to think like we figured all this out and then we like prayed over it for years and then we got the right pieces. You know, you get the people around the same table and say, hey, we all have the same problem right now. We need to work together to come up with some kind of solution. Mm -hmm. And maybe creating a network for your region is not the answer, you know? Um, but look at the resources you have, look at the people who are passionate about this and you come together and you do pray. And I really do believe it generates some synergy and you can come up with some creative solution that fits 
your context and your region. Um, for us, it was creating something like this. Um, but by no means, we got together and we said, you know, our goal in 10 years to expand this to nationwide and have, you know, each city come up with something like this. That wasn't our goal. We were just really uh, selfishly concerned to say what what's needed right here in front of us and what are we all willing to pitch in? Yeah. And, and God really gave us some, um, you know, ideas and resources to kind of launch this. No, I, I love that collaboration because you don't see that among churches a lot. There's more competition. It's like, oh, you're going to steal my member or you're going to whatever. And so I love that this brings the church together to work together and do something that they probably would not be able to do on their own. Or they could try to do on their own, but it just it's a lot of work and time and energy. And so collaborating with other churches for something that's bigger, um, I think it's a great, beautiful thing. So last question. Um, if you could speak to two audiences, one that says that's hearing this like, wow, I want that. That sounds amazing. Let's bring it to our city. And I'm sure other people have reached out for you for that, um, those questions. What would you say to them? And then the second group would be they hear and they're like, we can't do that. That's I'm that's not possible. But I want counseling. I know there's a need. I just don't know what to do. Where do I start? What would you say to those two different groups? Yeah, to the group of people who, who um, really want to, to start it, uh, you know, I would say get around um, people who have kind of similar visions and similar needs, right? Uh, so come around the need um, and prayerfully talk about that. And just be careful about who you let in. Uh, you may want to start with your friends, but it can't just be your friends like it has to be people who understand the vision people who are moving towards the same goal have multiple conversations um, what I appreciated about John was that he slowed down the process and he said these are things that we really need to work out before we could just start talking to people about this and um, he was really great about uh, setting even the exact wording of the vision together um, I remember the, we brought up uh, the word healing, and I, I think it was John or one of the other members who said, like, hey, like, let's not overpromise what we're trying to do, right? We're not, you know, going to promise healing, you know, for people. Uh, we're here to be a resource um, and a help to them. And um, getting around, you know, those particulars together with your friends um, and resonating with the need together, that's probably a great place to start. I'm sure there's no place in the United States where it's only one pastor in that town struggling with this, right? Um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, you, you do need to nail down some particulars. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I would just echo once again, just get the like-minded people together, reach out to other churches and see if they want to do something about this and get together and pray over it. And uh, if you logistically want to know how we run things behind the scenes how we came up with the bylaws and you know the price point and all that more than willing to talk we've had multiple conversations from churches from multiple cities denominations from different areas and um this this isn't um a resource that we want to just hold on to and, and try to monetize so that we benefit but it's really we're just sharing our story of what worked for us here. And if this is going to benefit you and your region, reach out to us. Our website is up now, lighthouse.co, lighthousecounseling.co. And you can get basic information there. But uh, if you go there, our email address is there. You can, you know, shoot us an email. But um, the other thing I do want to say is in order to create something outside of, let's say, counseling programs or ministries um, and not just want to do referral and you want to do something outside of those two options. There's many other options that you can look into, but I think it's very important that you're open-minded about who got sent your way. Mm -hmm. um, you want to be careful about who you work, but you also want to be careful. You, you want to be open to the idea of, who may be really passionate about this and may not be somebody from your denomination. Mm. It might not be somebody that you are best friends with. Um, and that's the beautiful, beautiful part about, I think our lighthouse counseling network that I personally am really proud of is, you know, um, majority of our pastors now 
in nine churches, we're all different denominations. Mm. And we have particularities in our theology, you know, and, but it comes to supporting our members with the right resources to make them emotionally, psychologically, you know, spiritually healthier. That's the common ground. Mm. In order for us to come together, that has to matter more than the differences that you see. Without that kind of mentality and openness to this, there's no way you can, at least the way we modeled it, there's no way something like this can be created. So I'm super thankful for the eight other churches who have joined this network, but are okay with the idea that this is an ecumenical work. We're a non-denominational, we are a Christian organization, but we're non-denominational and we work also with therapists and counselors who are more left leanings and more right leanings and have different uh, traditions and, and backgrounds and practices. And us, for us, that's what we wanted. And we're okay with that. And yeah. if you're not, then maybe you need to narrow that search and relationships that you want to build. But uh, once again, that's what we share. So if I can just throw a plug here, if you are a therapist or a counselor and you're like, man, this really excites me, like something's tingling inside. I would like to believe that the spirit is trying to nudge you to connect with us. Yes. Um, please contact us. We, we're always looking for more uh, counselors who are Christians or those who are seminary trained or are Christian counselors. Um, we were always looking for more partners to work together with. I love that. Yeah. So in the uh, show notes, Erasing Shame, we'll have all the information on Lighthouse uh, and, and your guys' contact information. So yes, go and sign up and serve in this way. And, and as well as be a blessing and, and bring it to your city or your church, because I, I love the point about the collaboration. I think we don't see that enough modeled, and we need to see more churches do that. When I was a youth pastor in Irvine, we actually created this uh, event called NK24, where the biggest churches in Irvine, the Korean churches, we gathered the youth groups together, fasted, and raised money for North Korea to build wells there. Wow. And I thought the senior pastors would not be happy with it, because we never do anything together, but they were, they were like, okay with it. And, and so we got to work with everybody in the students and we raised like a hundred thousand dollars and just built wells. And so we never would have done that on our own little small youth group, but together, it was just so cool to see something where God used that collaboration. Like you were mentioning just something bigger than yourself. And I think, uh, Christ and counseling is it's, it's it's a beautiful thing to come together with. So, thank you guys for sharing. This is awesome. I loved it. I'm 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 all I'm a big fan. So, thank you guys and go take take out the show notes and thank you so much, pastors. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Erasing Shame podcast. Check out our website at erasingshame.com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. Please subscribe on any podcast app like Apple, Google, Spotify, or on Facebook and YouTube. And please add a rating, a review, and a share so more people can experience the freedom and healing that comes from erasing shame.